0: i could teach you a ton of vocabulary words in italian but if i drop you in rome right now and you know like a hundred vocabulary words you can't speak the language because you don't have a a context for the framework of the language you don't know where the words go you probably couldn't get from point a to b that
1: was chenis Pettigrew. and this episode features founders of two organizations working hard to realize tools and approaches to engaging learners in computer science without making it feel like that show, Naked and Afraid, where humans are dropped into the middle of nowhere with no, well, clothes, but more importantly, no context to help them belong. We often forget how rare it is that any of us as learners truly stumbles upon a deep motivation, a love for a topic or enthusiasm for new skills out of nowhere. And yet so many of the approaches we take through institutional learning, make the assumption that you, empty vessel, awaiting relevant knowledge, are eager to dive in. Today, especially, we're obsessed as a country with readiness for the future, for new skills, for jobs, for the challenges of tomorrow. But nobody ever got ready for anything by having others cram it down our throat. As many of you are aware, thoughtful, well-designed on-ramps can be the difference between pushing through an already cracked door and feeling around aimlessly for a secret opening in a library wall like
0: in a scene from Harry Potter. You get what I'm saying. Meet everyone. I'm Chennis Pettigrew. I'm an educator, artist, and entrepreneur. I'm the chief creative officer at Code Society. At Code Society, we use original hip hop music to teach computer science concepts. Our aim is to transform young people um, from passive users of technology into innovators and developers of technology.
2: All right, my name is Armando Somoza, I'm an artist, educator, and entrepreneur, and father. Uh, Really, the whole goal and the vision of Code Society is to disrupt the technical education landscape and uh, teach young people how to live from their ideas.
3: I'm Leandra. I'm the co-founder and chief product officer at VidCode. VidCode is a learning platform and curriculum to bring computer science, Uh, to schools and libraries and to empower teachers who don't know how to code to teach computer science.
1: When you're through with the episode, find show notes for this and every other episode at nosuchthingpodcast.org. I'm grateful you're listening. Enjoy the episode. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. So uh, guys, thank you for doing this. Welcome. Thank
0: you. Here we are, Um,
1: excited to be here. Here we are. Uh, And you guys got the, I I feel like um, the gift that I'm giving back to you for spending your time is my, uh, the Barry White edition of, so I lost, this week has been crazy. We had a fundraiser in the middle of the week and... Uh, we we did another episode earlier in the week and and I've just been talking a lot so I, I started to lose my voice but it's giving me this nice uh it's giving me this nice radio baritone uh, which is cool um so I'm so excited to have this group here it it's uh we're I'm doing a few episodes specifically on computer science and engagement and um i am this is just a perfect group uh two different um, initiatives working to build product that looks more closely from a uh, design perspective at what it really takes to engage young people in uh, the kinds of skills and dispositions that I think the world is kind of hoping uh, they'll take away from some of these experiences with with code and computer science. But um, one of the things we've been talking a lot about is uh you know what it takes to make those experiences sticky for young people and authentic to what interests and motivates them, and uh, both of these organizations have, uh, you know, you're you're no doubt const- constantly kind of going back to the drawing board to figure out how to do that. So that's why I'm excited to have you here. Um, I want to start with Vidcode in part because you guys, in a in a bizarre turn of uh, you know time and space, you guys are like the the veteran. <laughs> uh, in this room, which is weird to Very think. Very strange. Um, but uh, I love what VidCode does. And Leandra, I just want to start with you and have you describe to us, um, not so much like from a, don't give me the the VidCode pitch, so much as um, like, give me a little bit of a user story, like okay. um, how that would go.
3: yeah um so what's really changed over the years as we've been working on vid code is just our focus on what the teachers we work with need um so more and more teachers that have been using our products don't know how to code at all and are like thrown into these computer science classes um so a user story from them uh is often to like, look over our lesson plans or our resources, maybe even reach out to, like, me or our curriculum folks um, and start to, like, plan that class and figure out how they're going to integrate computer science with our tools into, like, their whatever they're teaching. Um, a user story from the student's perspective um, is really going to a computer either with them or with a friend um, and planning a project and... Um, and it was just following the tutorials and learning to code and making something really creative. And hopefully something like being able to use the like skills that they're learning to make visual projects, um, use them to make something they really want to make. Hmm. So that's would be a user story from like the students. Yeah.
1: Where did where did the idea for VidCode come from?
3: Um, so my co-founder Allie was going to ITP, uh, the interactive telecommunications program at NYU at the time. Um, and she had actually learned to code uh, through her interest in photography. She had started as a photographer. Mm. Um, so um, her Melissa, our other co-founder, and I met at a hackathon. Um, and Ali pitched this idea of connecting the way she had learned to code to K-12, like really focused on engaging specifically girls in computer programming and computer science. Mm. Um, Five years ago, like Made with Code didn't exist yet. Um, There weren't really any like for profits in the space that were focused on engaging girls. Yeah. Um, There was like Girls Who Code, like a nonprofit, Um, but there wasn't really anything else. So that was sort of one of the like the initial goals um, was to make something that the groups of girls that we worked with and talked to would be interested in. Um, so that was like the initial seed of the idea. Mm-hmm. And,
1: I'm curious for you guys, was, was the motivation about getting girls excited about computer science or was it getting girls making things they're excited about?
3: Both. Um, a lot of the early research that we did Um, kept coming back to the idea that these girls that we were talking to and working with wanted to like make things that connected to them, Mm. um, wanted to like have ideas um, and make things that they could use, they could share. Um, So our like very first tutorial that's still on the site is coding like a video filter, like an Instagram filter. Mm. Um, And that was because that's what they were using. That's what they wanted to like learn how to make and recreate and customize for themselves. Yeah.
1: So, so that was the first, the first product.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Just like one little filter, like one little tutorial code and Instagram filter.
1: So tell me how, I'm just curious about, um, the nuts and bolts of that. Like how long did it take to put that together? And then what's the product cycle for something like that now that you guys have been around for 100 years? <laughs> no. Uh, you have a few years of experience, right, uh, in, in these product cycles. And um, is that something you're still working on? Um, or you know, was it like, oh, we did this in two days and it's being used by a million people?
3: The first product, the first tutorial, took a long time. It took probably almost a year probably six months before something was live online that people were really using. Mm-hmm. And that was because we were building the product from the ground up. So we were doing a lot of user testing and making sure that the actual like coding workstation uh, was something that was joyful to use, um, something that felt creative, um, something that promoted learning. Um, we were building it from nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, so that part took a long time. Once we had that like initial design down, it took us about another six months to come up with the next four tutorials. Mm. Um, and then our first course, uh, which was like, we break everything down into 40 hour courses. That took another year to make, Mm. um, which that was an interesting thing to learn. Like curriculum takes a long time. Yes. I don't think I knew quite how long it took when I was first uh first going into this yeah um but yeah now we have um four courses live online um three sort of pathway courses as well as ap computer science principles um and it just it takes forever um because <laughs> uh, you want to make sure it's like working too so you have to like test it and yeah. like make sure students are learning and then iterate um
0: and quality
1: right like you could you could throw something you know marginally successful up pretty quickly but high quality takes time
3: yeah well and you want to make sure that um like our focus has always been like students making visual projects that they want to make that are interesting that are connected to their interests so like if when we have to focus on the actual like projects that the students are coming out with and making sure that like each project a student makes is going to be different. Um, Making sure we're giving them that flexibility uh, while also focusing on like the actual computer science fundamentals that we're teaching. Mm. So it, it can be difficult to like build both at the same time and keep like an equal focus on both.
1: Yeah. Amen. I can't, I can't tell you the number of times we, I have this conversation with funders a lot where it's like, <clears throat> How long will it take to build a course in X? And when I say, you know, 10 months to a to a prototype uh, or to something that works, um, it's always like, what? You know, the um I think the expectation is that uh you know, somehow when you're designing a learning experience, it takes less than what they take to develop software or whatever it is they're building. Cause no doubt they're not working on a, on a, uh, two week product cycle. Right. Um, but, um, code society is in this room, a new kid on the block. Um, but you, you all are not, uh, not new kids to this work by any means. And what I really appreciate about what Code Society is up to is uh, you all are veteran educators and know a lot about what engages and motivates young people. So um, it seems to me that Code Society is as much about curating important experiences for young people as it is about putting, uh, you know, putting an exciting product out there. I'm curious to hear from from you guys, maybe Chenis, you can get us started just um, to talk a little bit about what the motivation was for Code Society getting started um, and what you hope, you know, five years from now, every young person who touches what you're building uh, will come out with.
0: Mm-hmm. Great question. Uh, Initially, uh, we were working together. Armando and I worked together at an organization and we were experimenting with uh, different modes of culturally responsive education. Um, And one thing we were using was hip hop music, original hip hop, um, that was standards aligned with, uh, you know, they call it scope and sequence Mm -hmm. or any national core standards for English language and U.S. history. So, it was developing this entire album that was aligned with a curriculum guide um, that incorporated pop culture references that would resonate with young people, um, mostly underrepresented um, black and Latino students here in New York City. And it was really geared towards helping them pass uh, exams initially. And so, we're experimenting in this space, saw a great number of success with the approach, and knew that there was something there. You know, had a brilliant team of people that included mm-hmm. artists, technologists, designers, educators, etc., who were working on this. Um, so, and go ahead.
1: Yeah, so so pa- pause mm-hmm. for the
0: educator who's like, "What hip hop helped them pass an exam?" Exactly. Fill in fill in that blank. Sure. So so imagine a song that is specifically geared towards for English language, for instance, helping students understand. Uh, a metaphor and a simile Um, and so the chorus of the song literally speaks to what the scope and sequence English standards require students to know and learn Uh, so the music is aligned one to one with those standards. Right. So a teacher can literally pull the, lift the lyrics out of the song and point to, you know, what the lyrics are referencing to help students understand those concepts. Mm. You know, students can listen to those songs over and over again and it's like a study guide for them. Okay. But instead of hearing their, their Charlie Brown teacher, mm-hmm. you know, conveying these concepts, they're hearing this cool voice over music that resonates with them saying the same thing in a language that they understand. Mm. Mm-hmm. So we started there. Um, and then... Uh, we, we had a colleague who, who was an advisor mentor at the time who came and said, you know, you guys are seeing a great deal of success in this uh, this more liberal arts space, you yeah. know, um, a liberal education space of social studies and English. I think we you, you guys should try computer science. You know, mm-hmm. there's a need. Um, we all know about the pipeline issue and diversity issues in technology. Like it's, you know, passe at this point. Everybody's aware of it. But. Um, But there was a need to try to use this approach in that space as well. So initially, we started trying to teach students uh, using uh, something called Python MC. Mm. Uh, So again, using music, but we were specifically working um, Mm. on teaching students the Python, you know, computing language, programming Mm. language. Mm. And we immediately saw that for the students that we work with, um, it wasn't landing. It wasn't resonating because these students, one, didn't have a background that would allow them to just adapt in that environment very easily you know they needed to be onboarded you know even earlier than that you know we couldn't just jump into a language for them they had no context for it they didn't understand it's like we always talk about uh, linguistics um and language and it's like yeah i could teach you a ton of vocabulary words in italian but if i drop you in rome right now and you know like a hundred vocabulary words, you can't speak the language because you don't have a, f- a context for the framework of the language. You don't mm-hmm. know where the words go. You probably couldn't get from point A to B. Um, and so we say, you know what? We need to give students a fundamental foundational framework before they learn anything about any language, yeah. you know, because if they understand the way the systems work, then we can. they can learn any language and understand how to manipulate that language for whatever goal they're trying to achieve. Yeah. And so we started focusing uh, Code Society on computational thinking, mm-hmm. you know, um, rather than dealing with languages specifically, and that's where we are now. Yeah, um,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's also really disorienting. Like Definitely,
1: that, I never thought about it, but that that I so so first off, that's been a theme recently. Is talking about uh, for, for just for me in in my head is um, I don't think we've talked enough about. Coding languages, like the purpose of coding languages, as um, having the same purpose as a, a written and spoken language does, which is to give people voice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that came in, up in this conversation I had with um, Doctor Emden and Ajupong recently. Um, so I love that, but then your analogy is really interesting, where you're talking about dropping somebody in Rome with a with a hundred words or something. Mm-hmm. And not to, like, not to, you know, we're just making goofy analogies, but Mm -hmm. um, if you really did do that, right, not only would I not be able to speak the language, but it would be incredibly disorienting if I was just like, whoa, I'm in Rome. Exactly. But that is kind of what we're doing. Totally. Right? It's like... uh, in in some cases, you know, we're just dropping the hundred words. In other cases, we're dropping them in Rome without the hundred words, mm-hmm. um, and and like lots of different variations For of sure. of those combinations. Right. So, um,
0: meaning you're you're, you're also. Dealing with students who don't see themselves represented in tech in the technology space, yeah. who don't see anyone in their you know immediate environment who is engaged in the space, who's been successful in the space that they're aware of, um, who are extremely uh, passionate and can use you know these powerful pocket computers that we have, Mm -hmm. you know, and they create culture all around the world using them, but they don't know how to actually develop them, develop the technology that they're using every day. And so it's extremely disorienting to drop them into space that they have no idea where to begin and to say, learn this new language, you yeah. know, and produce this new thing and they have absolutely no context for it. Yeah. Um and so we've been working really diligently to figure out ways um to objectify these concepts so that you can actually see how these concepts exist in the real world, mm. how they relate to your real life, you know, physicalize them, you know, before you understand before you get to an algorithm um, you know, from a technology perspective, how does an algorithm work in a relationship to a viral dance? Mm. How does an algorithm work in your life? You know, what's your algorithm to get ready for school every day? Because most likely you do the same thing when you Mm. get up. You're getting up by the alarm. You're going to taking a shower. You're brushing your teeth. You're getting your clothes. You're getting your bag. You know, the whole thing. Get the bus or whatever it is. Every day you do the same thing. And so relating it in a way that students can see it um, and then applying it, you know, in in the tech space. Mm. You know, because I, I think... What became really apparent and important to us um, was that we're seeing how, you know, the principles of computational thinking are relevant beyond technology. Mm. You know, so that if you understand the concepts in computational thinking, you can apply those in so many different ways. It's, yeah. it's an interdisciplinary understanding, you know, that goes across industry, across sector, et cetera. So, yeah. so, so, Armando, give me the uh,
1: give me the user story. Right and and if you could in your user story work in the viral dance example because I am I am dying to know how this goes.
2: Yeah, you got it, you got it. So, um, so Chen, it's the, an amazing overview, really, of what we're doing and, and like the philosophy and the ethos of our approach and how that manifests in like a user story is what we do is. Um, to kind of build off of what Chenis was saying. So the concept of algorithm, right? So we have this specific unit that teaches uh, the concept of algorithm, objectifies it and personalizes it in a learning environment. And what we do is that we use the concept and the idea of a viral dance challenge. So uh, the Kiki challenge specifically, mm-hmm. right? Drake's song, In My Feelings, right? Like, yeah, now you got to explain it. Kiki, do you love me? Right, there's that <laughs> There's that whole thing, right? There was this whole viral dance challenge yeah, that you happened. you can sing it. Where- <laughs> He, he, on the on the team, you know I don't me. do the singing. That's my what kids, it. my kids call it up
1: on the uh, on the echo and the more. That's like their wake up song.
2: There you go. Maybe All maybe right. Yeah. Amazing. So there you go. So what we're seeing is young people who are engaging with um, popular culture and living and existing within these experiences, um, embodying them into their lives right we see that through Fortnite. we see that through viral dance challenges we see that through all kind of apps mm-hmm. and games and popular culture right that young people are engaging in technology in ways that um you know uh, uh, they're engaging in technology um in ways where they're starting to imagine possibilities right mm-hmm. they're 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 it's almost like a SimCity from years, 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 from decades ago, right? You're almost creating a new um, reality in these spaces, right? Yeah. Young people really have that, have that um, uh, uh, relationship between the physical world and the digital world that yeah. they're exploring, right? So what we do in our user journey is that we um, objectify the idea of um, an algorithm and using the Kiki challenge specifically and other viral dance challenges, what we do first is we break down what are the steps... To the Kiki Challenge, hmm. right? So you have kind of that first that first step, you know, where then you have the the second step where you where you put your hands in a heart motion over your heart, and yeah. you know, there's a whole sequence of dance steps, right, that um, are mapped to the song itself. Um, so we break that down for young people. We say, okay, what are the dance steps to the Kiki Challenge? We break down the individual steps. We say, okay, so that's a repeatable fashion, right? That's mm-hmm. a repeatable pattern that you do over and over again in different ways. So for
1: those, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yes. So for those who don't know the the kiki challenge or the song yes you could also uh substitute while it would be an inferior substitute perhaps Mm -hmm. uh the chicken dance you got it you could do all kinds of like line dances and and, and things that are
0: kind of like just repeatable anything you do at a wedding at a party and there are a group of people doing it all together it's the same concept got it okay so now i take that got it
2: you got it right so a, a repeatable pattern Right in that way. So then we break that down. We we, we kind of deconstruct and decompose that into the different steps, right? Where young people identify those steps. And then we ask, okay, what then after that turned the Kiki Dance Challenge into an international viral sensation, Mm. right? What were the elements and the components to that algorithm, right? So you had um, somebody recording it on a cell phone, right? Or some sort of video recording. So that actual little piece of media then was posted on the platform, right? Instagram or YouTube. Um, it had a hashtag so that it was compiled so that the algorithms of these platforms can compile all of these media pieces and then disseminate those in international spaces. right? So you create this international viral sensation using the dance challenge. A lot of the students, I mean, one of the big things that we right away ask the students is that name a dance challenge, name a dance that a dance challenge, whatever it might be. And because of the explosion of, again, popular culture and Fortnite and all these different pieces, I mean, the young people are telling us dance challenges that we haven't even quite seen. They're so new on Mm the space, right? So, what we then do is that we use that as the entry point and the mechanism to translate these highly technical. um, And They're actually not highly technical concepts. They're actually simple concepts that have highly technical words Mm -hmm. that are kind of... um, uh, impersonal kind of dehumanized words, right? So we have pattern recognition, algorithmic thinking, decomposition, inputs and outputs. We, are, we have all of these concepts that that construct the kind of instructional framework for mm-hmm. how to teach um, algorithmic thinking, right? Um, so rather than saying, okay, um, decomposition, you know, what is decomposition in trying to um, uh, essentially uh, translate or, um, define forgive me if so for decomposition instead of trying to define that in a disembodied impersonal experience yep. we just lead the young people through a pedagogical approach through an actual instructional method where they're doing that without knowing that right. right so again the first thing in the user journey is identifying the you know the kiki challenge breaking down the steps of the kiki challenge having a conversation about how that little piece of video content became an international viral sensation yeah. and then we put the um the power in the young people's hands we say okay Let's look at our schools, let's look at our families, look at our community, let's look at the world, let's look at our country, and let's identify a problem in one of these spaces. Now, how would you break down steps to solve that problem? Mm-hmm. And then we guide the young people in constructing their own algorithm to solve that problem. And that can take shape in some young people create their own viral dance challenge to resolve gun violence, mm-hmm. or they create a spoken word piece to, um, to address um, hunger or whatever it might be you know and and sometimes it's not so broad of concepts you know sometimes those are like really broad concepts but they're very specific concepts that the young people identify in their community we have we had domestic violence as as a topic that young people organized around and broke down steps to then solve that and what we're seeing is that that approach to teaching and learning puts the concepts One, translates the concepts into a language that they understand. Mm. And two, equips the young people with the tools and the understanding on how to activate the concepts in a real world setting so that it can serve a greater purpose. It can serve a bigger picture, right? So rather than teaching an algorithm through a conditional, through a function, a for loop or a while loop or whatever it might be, Mm -hmm. what we're doing is that we're teaching them through um, a a language they already understand that they're already living within a context, a a world that they live within um, and and leveraging that to then solve a a problem.
1: So you guys right now are, um, before I go there, um, the, the, what you're describing in terms of, um, getting them there through an approach, um, you were making me think of the karate kid.
2: Very interesting. Right. That's uh, a good, that's a good one. We're dating ourselves here. Okay. Right. But who, 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 <laughs>
1: there's been like four <laughs> since the, ori- no, but I'm talking about the original. You know, he like exactly. He's painting the fence. He's he's waxing the car. Yep, exactly. Um, but but uh, I suppose there's pro- there are probably moments where, like Daniel's son, mm-hmm. um, students are like, you know, why am I doing the kiki dance? I want to mm-hmm. do. I'm here for a computer science class. Mm-hmm. What's that like? That
2: moment.
0: You know what? We haven't actually had that moment really we've had we've had not with the
2: young people but with with, the adults in the the, space with the
0: adults we've had that yeah the the young people are welcoming this experience because the ways in which they've been introduced to computer science Mm. traditionally hasn't landed at all yeah and so when they get the opportunity to learn about an algorithm by dancing and mapping a dance to an actual problem that they would solve Mm -hmm. and then entering into it that way i mean they're like loving it yeah, um, because it makes sense to them now, mm-hmm. you know, in, in, a, in a way that resonates with their life, their being and what they do. But the adults in the space, you might want to speak more to that because you mm-hmm. have a lot of experience with the reaction of even computer science educators, mm. um, you know, to this approach when they've seen it in action
2: yeah one of the most fascinating things that we've learned um and we've seen with the educators and and part of you know our value proposition as they do in quotations, right? The biggest thing that we've learned is that, um you know we we started um doing technical education, arts education. We have fifteen year plus you know experience doing this work specifically. And our entry point was uh, when we were teaching coding was specifically through websites, you know, uh, back in like 2004 right when we were teaching initial like html and css and that was an entry point and then we we entered into game design right as as another entry point which mm-hmm. is a big common um uh approach in the field uh and what we learned though was that that attracted a very specific um kind of personality type if you yeah. will, like it's an archetype of a student you know um which include gender include interest include age include those different things which The byproduct of that typically excluded uh, young women, um, sometimes students of color in different ways based on just like the entry point. So what we found in using this approach um, is that our value proposition is that we are not trying to replace organizations. Who or compete with organizations who are teaching coding syntax. Mm. That's critical. That's absolutely. And there's incredible organizations that are doing that. We're just trying to catch young people earlier in that kind of timeline and pipeline experience and that user journey and lay the theoretical foundation. Now, Mm. sometimes there is a little bit of, in terms of the other adults in the room, sometimes there is a little bit of a relationship or an initial assumption that there's a threat to kind of the field itself, right? Because people have committed, you know, advanced degrees, master's degrees, PhDs, et cetera, in this space where computer science is a highly coveted highly coveted um, kind of exclusive field. Domain, yeah. Domain, if you will, yeah. You, you like earn your way into this space, mm-hmm. right? So, um, and, and it's based on like best practices, et cetera. So when they see our approach, oftentimes at first, we've had educators come to us and tell us, you're actually doing yourself. If you don't have young people in front of a computer, and a terminal you're doing them a disservice Mm. period and we're like okay that's interesting like yes that's that's incredibly important that's something that is 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 something that that we all as a community and all of our entry points have to commit to doing we have to teach those hard skills but we have to do it is start earlier and what we found is that we're actually preparing students for that terminal experience Mm
1: -hmm. this is actually a perfect moment for us to take a break Mm -hmm. so i'm going to do that and then we'll be right back hey it's me some housekeeping i really appreciate you downloading the show if you wouldn't mind going back to google or stitcher or apple wherever you downloaded and rate review the show it means a lot to me better yet It helps me get more ears on this show and closer to a milestone for the show that would be to bring in some sponsors to help us continue to build new episodes, bring in new guests. Aim higher. Meantime, if you're really eager... Uh, The other thing that would be huge help is facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. There is a listener survey pinned as one of the first posts on the page. If you could give me some feedback, I'd be so grateful. Thank you to many who have left some feedback already. I'm already using it to shape what comes in the year ahead. Thanks for listening.
2: Okay so one thing that we say um oftentimes is that again we're not we're not trying to compete with other coding organizations. If we see other coding organizations we just kind of use another analogy here. If the existing coding or, uh, organizations are like car companies, right? If you will. We're not trying to be another car company that competes. We're trying to sell everybody more better tires. Um, to actually improve the gas mileage, right mm-hmm. So more efficient tires to improve the efficiency in the gas mileage of these, of the other car companies. Um, so we're trying to actually equip organizations to cast a wider net, open up a bigger pipeline, attract more young people um, into their or into their programming, into their spaces so that they can continue on. I think one of the, um, the most interesting things that we found with other educators was um, finding these two approaches as complementary, um, not as one replacing the other as the two approaches happening at the same time. so right. teaching the hard skills of the actual syntax of the command language of all of using these specific pieces but using the theoretical frameworks to then provide the context, which is really interesting Yeah,
3: yeah. it's interesting too when you talked about um, like students taking what they've learned with your uh, with your lessons and like applying it to like a more global problem because mm-hmm. we found that too like when um, you like really sit down with students and like engage them and talk to them and like what do you care about and like all right like let's dig deeper into that like why like why does that matter like why is that a problem like what have you heard like let's research that and then like do something with computation that connects to that and maybe like create something that they can share and that like makes them feel like they know more about this, like larger topic they care about, or like maybe they're they're even like making an impact. Mm-hmm. That's so, so huge to like them caring about what they're learning at all. Like if you're not learning, like, I don't know, if you're not using these skills that you get while you're coding and like connecting them to something that you care about and like being taken seriously with like what you care about then like, what's, what's the
0: point? Exactly, yeah. One of our our mentors told us that as we were, you know, working on Python, MC said, you know, I want to drop something on you. He's like, the technology doesn't solve the problem. Like, it's not the, the, the tech solution that solves the problem. It only enhances the solution you've created in an analog way. So, you know, we're sitting here and, and thinking about it in more of a, a systems thinking, computational thinking way. How can we step by step solve this very specific problem? Mm-hmm. And we draft this solution that we think is going to work. And then we use technology to amplify and enhance this thing that we already, you know, solved mm-hmm. in a more analog way that the tech itself is not going to be the panacea and to solve it. And so and also you've got to infuse, you know, people who are manipulating the technology with an ethos, with like an underlying purpose behind why you're actually doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the point of it? I, there's something I care about that I want to change, and technology is a tool that's going to help me scale the change that I envision.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, as opposed to technology is going to solve this thing without me having to do anything.
2: Yeah, you know? which is which is fascinating and is not only disruptive to Silicon Valley, but to how Silicon Valley has shaped technical education, right, hmm. and technology education. Same because um, really, the goals and the objectives of Silicon Valley is about like profit to the max, right? Like build the highly most scalable, you know, it's the, it's the gold rush, right? It's a gold rush around technology and products that can scale a thousandfold. You know, the whole kind of driving motivation be- behind venture capital is at minimum 10X return on any type of investment, you know, and that causes a um, self-perpetuating cycle mm-hmm. um, rooted in a set of values, right? And those values are around profit. Yeah. And what we're doing is that we're leveraging these tools, techniques, and strategies around technology development to actually not yield the result of like maximizing profit to the max, but of making change in our community, right? And we're just now starting to see an emerging field around like social, social impact investment, double bottom line, that kind of space is just now emerging in this tech industry space, you know? And the challenge with that is that we i think technology has been taught explicitly on um your ability to execute a task a technical task not on impact on humanity environment um community etc and because um I think it's kind of a byproduct of the educational system. You know, what we often see unfortunately in the STEM fields, in the sciences and the engineering spaces in higher education is a void of liberal arts. Mm. Um, education. So people who go to school for engineering oftentimes do not have the level of understanding and have not been trained in um, kind of the the liberal arts humanities, right? You know, so the impact on society, like different morals and values, history, you know, how humans have evolved and how societies have evolved and what are the morals and the values that guide our society, right? Oftentimes, um, people who specialize in higher education are, have not received that type of mm. education and have not received that type of development. Um, so what we're doing is that we're bringing the humanities into that space and we're bringing, you know, technology into the humanities and mm. we're merging this space in an interesting way. So
1: two two things to come back to. One, your point about the thing your your mentor said, who sounds like a smart person, Uh we we share definitely that value the the um that that the tech is not a panacea that was um part of the uh catalyst for the this show's title uh, no such thing was really about um really knowing where where we're looking for innovation instead of um kind of chasing down shiny objects so so I'm right I'm right with you on that and then somewhere in Somewhere in this dialogue, um, it definitely dawned on me much more clearly what the society aspect of Code Society is about, which um, we're going to come back to your Kickstarter because I think a lot of people know, well, a lot of people in in my little bubble, uh, you know, know that you guys are up to something that the Kickstarter exists, but I'd love to tease out the society piece a little bit more because I don't think that that's a, at least for me, um, and I'm halfway, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm middle speed on the uptake. Um, but that wasn't totally clear to me. And I think that that needs more, um, you know, more breath, more amplification. Um, so I love that. I wonder, Leandra coming back to the thing that, um, that armando was saying about uh educators saying if you're not in front of a terminal you know tapping away at your your qwerty um like it's not you're doing a disservice have you guys bumped into that at all
3: um our platform is like on the student side of things yeah it's students um not coding in a terminal but uh, co- coding um and so we've actually found that when like teachers in the classroom who are using VidCode, like take the time to take students off the computer and get Mm. them to like, actually like talk about their work and like introduce concepts in ways that aren't students just sitting there. Yeah. Um, like whether it's unplugged activities, whether it's just conversations, um, whether it's something like you guys are talking about, like other activities that connect more to, um, those students' lives. Um, the act like it it does so much better. Mm. Um, There's so much more learning than when students are just like going through the tutorials on their own. Um, So
1: how do you support those things?
3: A lot of it ends up being on the teacher. We're still iterating and it's a, it's a really big um, kind of thing that we're focused on, like how to support student learning beyond just the tutorials. Yeah. Um, and a lot of it is just like empowering empowering teachers, like giving them as many resources as possible. It's something that we're always kind of focused on. Uh, there's still, I'm sure, classrooms out there where students are just like being put in front of tutorials. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, one thing that we try to do is just like structure the learning so that it is cyclical. Like it always goes back through like challenges and stuff, like back to what students have been learning.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, But um, it's hard because, like, a group of students, like, in the culture often isn't, like, without a teacher guiding them, like, people just, like, going around and talking about this, like, concept they just learned about this project they just coded. Uh, So, I mean, we do... Like, we're very high touch with the teachers that we work with. Um, and so it's just like talking to them about the like their classes, like how those discussions are going mm. um, and just making sure that we give them as many resources as possible to be able to do that.
1: Yeah. Maybe one of the things that brings this group together, just with you bringing up that um, that trying to encourage educators to bring students together to talk about the work is is like in in some capacity we've all experienced maybe a little bit of a studio environment. Like I I um, went to film school as an undergraduate and and one of the things I don't think and I've talked a lot about this with um, especially academics in art and design where a lot of the teaching they're doing in the first year or two is just how to get used to the culture of a studio environment, right? Where the expectation is you, you work on a thing, but then you step back, um, and talk to your peers about it and there's dialogue and, and that's what helps ideas come together. And, um, my point was, I wonder if we need to, we need to like uh, cooperatively build a studio model for all of these things where, you know, we, we just together endorse a set of practices that are kind of about stepping back and like how you have that conversation and, you know, how to make that, um, you know, culturally responsive in its spirit and really about engagement and and bringing students in. And, and, um, anyway, that's the whole, that's the, all the ideas baked so far, but
2: um yeah that's that's fascinating and I think that's what um, <clears throat> this this next evolution of um, technology education is starting to really um, address and start to look at yeah um, we have we have kind of four levels of um, of kind of our student uh, expertise um Uh, depth of expertise right so there's like four levels of our student um depth of expertise so one our our initial philosophy our initial approach and entry point is you know users right users and consumers right so students are the highest young people are the highest users and consumers of technology you know in our society Mm. period right um but that doesn't mean they know how to build the technology they use right so then kind of the next level of expertise is to then after becoming users and consumers is to be producers Mm -hmm. so producers of original content and being like prosumers and you know our devices have a lot of tools built into them the camera etc to then generate and produce original content yeah then the next third level of that is to become developers right so developers to then be able to do the hard coding skills to create you know, a tool that somebody else can produce on for somebody else to consume and use. And then the fourth level that we engage with and we talk about is an innovation level, right? Is to ultimately become innovators. Mm. And we had this interesting transition. I think this is what the field is going through is, is taking a step further beyond that developer, you know, like the hard skills are critical. Like that's Mm. really important and we need to continue doing that but beyond just teaching the hard skills i think there was the the motivation and the funds that went into funding you know there's been an explosion of coding organizations right there's been billions of dollars pumped into the education field an explosion yeah. of organizations and the problem that they're really trying to solve is um an uh, uh, employment workforce development issue right yeah. so we need more workers we need more people to like code these products and solutions for our society Mm. and that's great that's awesome but what we're also seeing in the space is that with automation and artificial intelligence and everything those jobs just like other blue-collar um, jobs of the past are going to be replaced. So for us, we go to that fourth level and really teaching innovation mindset and teaching in- innovation skills. You know where the humanities comes in, where where the problem solving comes in, where identifying you know some sort of problem in our community to then apply develop a development team to to then create a tool for other people to produce content to address that issue for other people to consume and learn about yeah. that space. So I think as a field, I absolutely agree in terms of there's there's a collective of organizations that are going beyond just the technical skills component of this and trying to teach, um, really focusing on the pedagogy and teaching that, like kind of that studio model that you were mentioning mm. to try and address how we can use these incredibly powerful tools skills and knowledge to um to address um humanity issues in humanity i mean like our environment you know our politics our i mean think of all of the things that are happening right now and how quickly things are changing we need to disrupt those spaces not through the market opportunity but through like supporting and advancing like the future of humanity opportunity yeah. in our globe, you know, our world, you know, so so that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, we, we've mapped our curriculum and our learner experience, we like to call it, to uh, the CS for All initiative and framework. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you've seen that rubric before, it takes you across four levels similar to what Armando just mentioned. The first level being the explorer, the second level being the creator, the third level being the innovator, but the last level being the citizen and the questions you know asked in the portion of the rubric that's labeled citizen are how will this piece of technology or how will this thing i've created impact this community love that impact this population of people so the students are thinking about what they're building very holistically mm-hmm. that you know yes I'm, I'm exploring you know what i want to build what i'm interested in you know okay i create it um i'm, I'm innovating and iterating on this thing but ultimately you know what's going to be the impact of this thing, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line. um, I can't just create this thing, you know, blindly or recklessly. There has to be some sort of, you know, consciousness embedded in what's being developed and created. And so getting back to even the the, the society part of code society, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that's, That's the ethos of it is, you know, as a citizen that has the ability now to manipulate this thing because technology is like money. It's energy. You know, people say money is the root of all evil. No, money is just currency and energy. And it depends on who has it in their hands and what they choose to do with it. Technology is the same way. So you have to not only have the chops to develop and innovate technology, Mm -hmm. but you've got to have the spirit and the mind, you know, to know how you want this technology to impact the
2: world. Um, And we're really seeing an absence of that in our society. I mean, when it comes down to like privacy, when it comes down to, you know, all all the thing, I mean, we're having congressional hearings, right? Of founders of tech companies that have, um, whose platforms have, you know, shaped and shifted the trajectory of our country Mm -hmm. and the world and the world, right? Like that's the impact of, of, these tools of these services of these products, yeah, and the motivations primarily have been financial, right? Have been financial and have been technical and have been around innovation and trying to invent new and incredible innovation has occurred. But the impact on humanity and the byproduct of that, you know, is an afterthought. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a big conversation around, you know, does Silicon Valley have you know, uh, a, a consciousness, you know, does it have a critical lens on its impact on humanity? And maybe now it started, it's like starting to come to the surface, you know? Um, but, but exactly what Janice was saying, yeah. you know, is bringing that critical lens.
3: I mean, I think that ties back to like what you were saying before, like how there isn't a focus on history, like there isn't a focus on like liberal arts education. So in the past, like every time someone has like made something with technology that's been like popular and made a lot of money, Like, there's no focus on, like, a history or where this came from or, like, what's feeding into it. It's like, oh, this is new. Mm -hmm. Like, brand new. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Here you go. Um, And, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, like, that's part of the reason that it's so important to contextualize, like, learning about technology and tie it back into those liberal arts, that, like, world... Um, because otherwise it's just gonna keep happening.
2: And, and for underrepresented yeah. communities, communities of color, women, right, who have been historically excluded from kind of that whole tech pipeline, um, that's when you're able to, to see yourself reflected. I mean, one of the things that we joke about when, when it comes around, like, um, when we talk about culturally responsive education and pedagogy, right? Um, when you take a group photo, right, and you're in the group photo, and then you see the group photo, Where's the first place you look?
1: Wait. You're in a group photo. If you're
2: if you're part of a group. You see the group photo. Yeah. Let's say somebody takes a group photo of you. You look at yourself. Yeah. You look at yourself. Right? Yeah. You, look exactly. at yourself. <laughs> right. you look for yourself. Where am I?
0: Mm-hmm. in this I don't right. how did I look myself. what expression did I have no I totally did
1: <laughs> yeah. I totally did <laughs> yeah. does exactly. everybody do that yes everybody does that thank right. goodness right
2: everybody does that I it always because... thought I was
1: kind of a creep but I'm usually looking for for the things I'm self conscious about exactly. like oh do so... I look am I am I am um i usually right. stand out right. i think it's partly because i was like a big kid and then you know it's like it's, the beard. it's like, the
2: beard
0: yeah mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it, well eventually you embrace it but right. as a kid it was
0: torture right like how was i rep- how did i represent how? myself or how was i represented in this space yeah
2: right mm-hmm. exactly so just human nature right is to see yourself reflected is to see where you because i think there's a kind of innate element of that of of i exist right i exist i'm there i was there like here i am i mean selfie culture right mm-hmm. like all of that is that i exist it's a little you know uh narcissistic and you know it's kind of uh, built some of those things but when it comes to an educational landscape when you talk about how education is addressing and engaging young people and young people underrepresented young people young people of color women etc um narratives stories experience exactly what you were saying you know it's like things are just invented out of nothing in a vacuum and it's like no there's a legacy of people who have all contributed to this thing even existing and those stories and those narratives are are never are rarely included in the space so not only do we have an opportunity to to do an education of all of the women founders and the people of color founders that have um created inventions that have led to, you know, the innovations of today. Um, But to be able to see your language, your culture, your interests reflected in that space, that's what attracts um, an entirely different demographic of folks into this space, which, which hasn't happened in the education space. Do
1: you guys know, um, professor at university of Michigan, Mark Guzdial? He was on this show and, uh, you guys would, would love some of his ideas, but he's been, um, he's been talking about this for a long time where uh, I think part of the case that he was making to me was that um, he actually sees his role as a computer science educator. In addition to um, teaching engineers or future engineers, he actually sees the the greater need as being, and I may be, I may be, um, this is m- my opinion of what I heard from him. So I don't want to characterize what he actually thinks, but it, it felt to me like he feels like maybe the bigger challenge for us is actually getting everyone situated with a disposition and an interest in, um, you know, whether it's computational thinking or, um, so that one of the classes that he teaches at at University of Michigan is actually, and when I saw him give this talk, I thought of Fidcode right away because um, he's been doing for like a decade. He's been doing a class where um, he gets some coding, uh, starting with things like photographs, and and uh, you know he uses um, uh, little you know, some tools that he's built where they can do things like manipulate pixels and, um, think about how visual media is, um, just another extension of how we're using, um, code. He's got some brilliant ideas, but, but this comes back to a question. That's all like, let's all check out Mark Guzdal, uh, and you can find him on YouTube. He's done some great talks. Um, you can definitely find him at university of Michigan if you're in Michigan, um, but it comes back to a question which is for for vidcode i wondered when i saw that talk whether you guys you uh as a founder felt like the goal was more about motivating more young women uh as engineers um versus motivating your more young women and and boys to to be um to have a mindset and and sort of mental and a and a cognitive frame for um, for computation, whether they're doctors or or anything else, or creatively as artists, um, like how did how did that? And I'm curious how your original intention has evolved with time and as you've had to write grants to try and fund this stuff, <laughs> right? So, like, where's your story now and what was the original motivation?
3: Yeah, it actually, I don't feel like has changed that much. Good for you. Um, Our our goal has never been to fill seats at Facebook. Am I allowed to say, like, a company name? Sure. Okay. Yeah.
1: Our- Until they uh, drop crazy money to advertise here, in which case I'll still make it part of the condition. You can,
3: like, bleep it out. That
1: we can bad bad talk. Um, there's nothing wrong with
3: these larger companies but like our we don't see ourselves as a pipeline to like Facebook or Microsoft Um, if a student wants to do that that's that's awesome Um, and I'm glad that we are like creating a a curriculum that helps give them the opportunity for something like that Um, but no VidCode has always tried to um, through tying back coding and computer science to students' interests, um, we've always tried to build that bridge between, like, whatever you're going to be doing, like, whether you end up being like a researcher, a scientist, an artist. Um, this is in your toolkit. You can use this, and you're empowered to use it to create something that, like you said, other people can use. Yeah. Um, you can go back and like start your own company and. Like we always just want to empower them and open those opportunities. Um, I think that the focus only on workplace development is really like a a disservice to the curriculum, especially mm. like as we're focused on K twelve. Like you can't um, you can't create a K twelve curriculum pathway and standards with like a specific job in mind. Yeah, it's it's doing a disservice to the whole to the whole thing. Mm um but no even even when we have like applied to grants um we we will mention um like if we have to talk about skills students are learning we're still able to frame it as um like supporting whatever they end up choosing to to be when they grow up yeah
1: i'm still choosing
2: I want to. Me too. (laughs) I think we we all are.
1: I'm in a I'm in a safe room. Yeah. I think
2: um something that I want to make sure that um doesn't go unsaid and that we recognize um is uh, shout out Vidcode. My goodness. Yes. Um early 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 on in your journey, uh, four or five years ago. Uh, we're exploring partnership with you all, with Melissa. I remember. Um, and exploring how, you know, we can uh, integrate, you know, uh, coding concepts and computational thinking concepts in a nonprofit that we were working at. Um, but the, the unique lens of using video and that video filter kind of initial feature um, was something that we were thrilled about. And we were trying to figure out how to fit in and in, into our programming with the schools because we used to work with over 100 schools in New York City. Um, and, and with that, we we're like, oh, let's let's figure out how to do an initial. Uh, a mm-hmm. pilot, to because the the approach was even then was was deeply aligned with our approach, because we exist at the intersection of art, education, and technology. Mm-hmm. It's really the fusion of those things. So Vidcode had just such a tremendous um, and natural and authentic um, approach that really aligned with our worldview, um, and has served as an inspiration even for Code Society and for everything that we've done. You know, we we just want to like put that on record and shout out Vidcode. Um, we've, we've learned from you. We've been watching you and um uh we just hope to continue on that path as well too
3: that's, oh my god thank you so much yeah, that's Definitely the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me
2: it's <laughs> awesome
1: gratitude yeah, is a yeah. good thing yeah you guys yeah. are
3: amazing too it's been awesome to see your journey from that like initial initial uh south by southwest edu party um <laughs> right. to like all the iterations um of everything you've been working on mm. um
1: i think there's a good. i think there's a um What's cool that that bubbles up in this room is that I think there's a world of uh, I think people think um, technology learning they think of ed tech and I think there's definitely a a world of ed tech that is, can be a little bit um, can be can be in a uh, you know a typical product environment it's like a little cutthroat and you're always kind of competing to put the next thing out I think what's beautiful about um, this conversation is what's bubbling up is there's also another um, huge community nationally that is sort of made up of these separate communities regionally of educators who work in this space where there's actually a ton of gratitude and um, you know just sort of reciprocal um, collaboration cooperation and a and a really forward thinking mindset from that perspective I feel like if we could figure out a way to to you know, like capture that um, just that exchange and and sprinkle it over all of the product that's being dropped into to schools right now and and after school programs and everything else, I feel like uh man we would we would uh, put an exponent on how quickly we can make some progress
3: um, well i don't think of it as like a competition thing either. Yeah. I mean like right now there are so many states and so many cities that are writing the like state specific standards for what computer science is going to be like moving forward like once that stuff is down it's going to be hard to change and the more organizations like you guys that are focused on um like actually tying it back to students and thinking about them and empowering them um like the more th- that's going to be heard, and the more people on these committees writing these standards, um, creating these laws, it's going to affect them. And like, I think we need more of that and less of a focus on like just like filling that job.
2: Absolutely. And I think I think one of the biggest challenges in that, um, and and unfortunate, it's kind of what I was mentioning earlier, but I didn't really get to expand on um because I lost that train of thought Mm -hmm. (laughs) and went on to something else. Um, was so all these states and all these cities and school districts, etc., are defining their computer science standards, right? They like learning standards. Now the people they're looking to are the practitioners in tech. And of course they should do that, right? Tech has built multinational, super-scaled products and have um, figured out the way to implement these skills in very tangible and real ways, right? Mm -hmm. Of course they should do that. The challenge with that is that many of those tech experts aren't educators. They're not pedagogues. They don't know and haven't been trained on teaching practice more importantly if they have been trained on teaching practice they've only been teaching practice trained in teaching practice in their explicit lane of expertise Mm -hmm. not in a multi-channel hybrid approach around engaging learners um, through different modalities right you know multiple intelligences different learning styles like all of those kind of larger pedagogical practices that have been refined over centuries Mm -hmm. right they're learning how to very tactically and efficiently teach and train the tangible skills of their field, not of like an educational human development space, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what we've been able to refine over the 15 years plus um, uh, experience in our careers in the arts education space, right? You have like, and the same thing happens in the arts. Like some people train it's very specifically like conservatory level arts training, you know, Mm -hmm. in theater or in fine art or in drawing and painting. And the education space is like very explicitly like global history. You know, Janice talks about this all the time, that our society um, segments um, and and boxes out and separates all of these different subject areas and then builds curriculum around that and and that really does us that that's like a very western way of approaching educational where where we're, uh, a, a lens that we bring is is tapping into um, traditions from communities of color indigenous practice um uh pre-colonized you know uh, uh we, we live a colonized experience right so we tap into um Different modalities of learning where uh, we kind of bring in a multi channel learning in this space, you know, in a very interesting way. I mean, Chenis talks about the grill. I'll let him.
0: I mean, just another metaphor um, you think about like a Serena Williams or, you know, any amazing athlete that you can, LeBron James. Mm-hmm all of the science involved in the brilliance that they display every time we see them perform you know there are all kinds of scientific principles that you know are magnificently on display that they're not standing still you know lebron is not standing still calculating the trajectory the speed of the ball you know how much inertia needs to happen in order for him to like none of that that those calculations are happening very innately and naturally um, because it, it's 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 integrated in his understanding um, of of getting this result. Um and it's you know same with Serena Williams and so why compartmentalize these understandings of things when integrating them especially in the world we live in now. I mean even from an artist perspective, you know, I've I've been a musician, MC, producer for 20 years of my life or more. I could have just Only been a writer Mm -hmm. a songwriter but that doesn't make what i do doesn't improve my craft i have to understand the technology that exists to make you know to make the songs that i want to make you know how does logic actually work what are the effects that are in logic you know what what are the the things that can help me promote my music around the world how do i produce video content to Mm -hmm. make sure i can post video content on instagram i have to have this integrated understanding of what I'm doing in order, you know, to project my success. Yeah. And so instead of just having students learn, well you're gonna learn math and science, you're gonna learn liberal arts. You're gonna learn whatever it is. It's like, no, actually these things have to, you know, coexist, yeah. commingle and intersect in order for especially, you know, the next generation to succeed in correcting all the things that we've screwed up so well. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, we've done all right at that. <laughs>
1: yeah. So the topic of this conversation was really about uh points of engagement for young people and computer science for all uh stem for all um and i wonder what it what advice all of you have like you you know these are um you guys have there's lots of overlap in your experience but lots of of difference in uh what experiences you're bringing to your role as educator, entrepreneur, builder of tools to shape learning experiences. And I wonder, like, if you had maybe... It may be more comfortable for you to think about it as, um, as, as a wish rather than advice. But uh, if you could make a wish and sort of cast it out uh, across educators and researchers about what the next five years of something like Computer Science for All is really focused on um, that draws from your experience and what you think we need to, we need to really uh, lock in on with respect to um youth engagement and motivation what would it be
3: yeah i mean so much of what we've been talking about um like i know a big part of what cs for all and that whole movement talks about is equity um so don't make a computer science class and wait for students to sign up find ways to not just integrate computer science into the rest of what students are learning but do what you were talking about like combine things um show students the connections show students that they can use these these skills to make things in in whatever their interests are um and and bring that to them don't wait for them to opt in
0: mm. i love that yeah it's a great point amazing
2: for for us i think in our in our own kind of educational journey um personally, as a collective team, and then what we're trying to, um, what we've refined through our professional careers and now what we're trying to manifest in the world is is really embracing the space of intersectionality, right? Yeah. You know, we've we've see how um, uh, specific areas of specialization and expertise are critically important for like the advancement of our societies, right? And like the world, that's great. But the more that we can see, um, there's actually, it's funny, there's actually a, um, a word in Spanish, Um, that doesn't translate to english Mm. it's called confianza And confianza is rooted in it's like loosely translates to like confidence or to like a belief in something um, or trust. Mm. It's kind of it's kind of in that space, but it doesn't have a direct translation. Yeah. And the belief is that confianza can only be achieved through shared experience. Mm. So imagine going through kind of a shared experience. Imagine like uh, uh, for athletes out here, you know, you have training boot camps, you know, or for you know you have the military or you have um, PD for. Teachers, or you have, you know, it's like these shared experiences where you go through something. You have ropes courses, right? Yeah. To build, you know, uh, uh, a community with an employee, yeah. a group of yeah, employees, yeah. right? So you have these things because it's in those experience where you see where one, where you shine and what your strengths are and how you can contribute to the collective. But then you also have the opportunity to see where others shine and where their expertise and strengths yeah. come together. And, and it's the combination of those things, that creates magic in our world. That's where innovation comes from, right? Is the collective effort. So in shared experience and in intersectionality is to know and understand what, you know, Nipsey Hussle, we were just talking about this earlier today. Nipsey Hussle say, you know, rest in peace, Nipsey Hussle. Um, you know, he said that, you know, when you're an expert, you there's no traffic in your lane. You know, like stay in your lane because there's no traffic there, mm. right? So like really focus on, you know, what your... You know, God given or innate ability, or creator or higher spirit, um, given ability is, and develop that, um, but don't don't just exist there. You know, build a collective. So in the field, in the field of computer science, you know, we have these tremendous experts that have created all the most amazing, world changing, humanity changing products and experiences by by constantly inventing embrace a space of intersectionality embrace the space where other expertise can come in to to create solutions that are even bigger than you know uh facebook having more people than you know the most like if it were to be a country it was like the what the third or fourth largest country in the world or i don't know something like that you know um there there needs to be more motivating right so embracing the space of intersectionality of collective experience mm-hmm. collective impact to ultimately improve now the challenge there is that there then has to be kind of an alignment of values mm-hmm. an alignment of worldview and that's where that's where that's challenging you know but through a a, a intersectional and immersive education experience we believe that's possible. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. I think in almost every society on the planet, and I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely generalizing here, but I think it's a, a pretty accurate generalization that change, evolution, revolution, transformation has come from the minds of young people. You know, minds that are younger, that are sharper, more nimble, and innovative, mm. um, and that aren't set in uh, the ways that happen to all of us or, or that are not adulterated, right? Um, you know, I, I think that happens to all of us, you know, once we have to start adulting, we become adulterated um, and jaded um, and lose that that youthful energy. Um, and we often in the, in the education space and we're getting away from it, but we often say we're empowering young people. Mm-hmm. We're giving young people voice, you know, uh, helping them find their voices. And there's so much brilliance that exists already within them based on their experience and the way that they see the world. Uh, you know, on the, the the topic sheet, I saw the term digital native. Um, and, you know, we're, we're a part of the generation, you know, generations of people who were here before the Internet, before email, before cell phones. Mm-hmm. I'm like dating myself for sure. But before a lot of these things, you know, were just mainstream, we existed in the society. But now we have millions of young people across billions of young people across the world who have grown up in this space mm-hmm. um, and I think we don't do enough to really think about what young people's interests are, what their passions are um, what they're concerned about, what their visions are for the future. You know that we're so caught up in understanding I'm older than you I'm an adult and I have more experience and so I'm going to guide you on this experience and help you understand how you can shape the world instead of saying you know what I'm humble enough to know that There's a time I'm not going to be here anymore Mm -hmm. and you're going to be the one that's shaping what's happening. And so how about we collaborate or I get a better understanding of how you think this problem should be solved, because you're probably seeing this in a way I've never even imagined just because of your perspective. And so I think it's the onus is on us as educators and we're talking about youth engagement, particularly in computer science. What are the students interested in? Mm. Really, un- really, really understanding that. You know, how many computer science educators right now can speak fluently about the impact of Nipsey Hussle in this space, or know that Chamillionaire, you know, another major hip hop artist, is a tech investor, you know, or know like really know the the tech investments Jay Z has made recently, or Nas has made recently, or that Serena Williams just started her own you know tech impact fund, or you know how many of of, of computer science educators know that enough? To be able to talk about those things fluently, you know, mm-hmm. the Nipsey Hussle had started Vector ninety, an incubation, you know, a project for you know um, entrepreneurs from South Central Los Angeles. But in the bottom was this this feeder program. It was a STEM program that he he had built also for young people right in South Central Los Angeles. Yeah. How many people can speak to that and that you know? In his music, he's talking about these things, and so I think it's important for us to make those kinds of connections. Um, but really, to really be aware. Of where they are, what they're thinking about and what they're considering, because I, I feel like we'll the the world will transform. It has transformed. This nation has transformed, you know, because middle schoolers thought it was wrong, you know, for there to be, you know, a white water fountain and a black water fountain. You know, they they transformed the landscape of the country. And so, you know, just to consider that. It's
1: mm. good. This has been a uh, a church experience for me feels good i don't go to i'm, I'm, I'm that's great i'm not raised a christian but, uh, <laughs> but it feels it feels um wow both safe and uh you know and enlightening i think that's that's the the purpose right um VidCode, uh, plug away, let's get people connected with VidCode um, and and tell us if there's anything we should be looking out for. I know you're working on courses and things now. Um, let's do that.
3: Um, I guess plugs, uh, you can find us by searching VidCode, uh, V-A-D-C-O-D-E in Google and our website will come up. Um, We have uh, about like 20 hours of a curriculum pathway, just like free online for teachers um, that everyone can go explore. Uh, Lesson plans are there, too. Um, This summer, uh, the biggest thing that we're coming out with, um, we're redoing our effects library, like what students can actually make. Um, so they're going to be able to program 3D graphics,
0: Whoa. which is going to be cool. That'll be fun. Amazing.
3: I am very excited for it. Um, and what they'll be able to do with the 2D graphics is going to be expanded, too. They're going to be able to make um, projects on a larger scale. So check back in for that probably around July.
1: Um, tell us about the Code Society, Kickstarter, and... and uh everything every bring it whatever whatever you need to uh connect us to
2: co-society yeah. all right well we're uh still coming down from um and uh uh really embracing um the love that our community uh showed us uh, two weeks ago we completed a uh 30-day Kickstarter campaign where we're raising $40,000 in 30 days. Uh, We met and exceeded our goal by 129% um, and raised um, $51,600 on the Kickstarter platform itself. Um, So we are kind of still, you know, in twilight zone, feeling fuzzy, fuzzy, you know, uh, just um, really humbled and appreciative and thankful for, um, one, the the love that our community, uh, showed us, but also the response for new friends in the space and in the field. Um, so many new people came and, um, supported and reached out and connected and contributed to us. So, um, we are, we are just fresh off of the Kickstarter campaign, um, where we're now converting, um, uh, our our goals into productizing, you know, code society to get ready to deploy out into the community. Um, I think one of the most beautiful things was that there was so many people who were, uh, responded very positively to our approach and to our ethos and have been then requesting, like, how can I get this in my school or how can hmm. I get this in my rec center? Right. How can I do this in the library or whatever it might be? So we are now um, putting together all the the different pieces to be able to send that out. We're, um, we're building our platform. We have a platform that um, has a digital, Badge infrastructure in it, you know, so so that, that we can have trackable metrics and skills um, for individual students. Um, so we have some big plans, big ideas in those different ways.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think he said it. I mean, I think we're just excited about um, the content mm. um, we we have created and will continue to create. You know, we really take. The quality control of you know music is our our, our delivery mechanism. It's, it's the it delivers the content, mm. and so we're excited and the about the music is dope, yo. Yeah, mm. we're really you know we have a team shout of shout out the
2: team, shout out the yeah,
0: team. Yeah, a team of very seasoned uh, artists, but artists who are educators, mm. so they have both of those lenses um, and create quality stuff. So that's fun. Looking forward to sharing that. You know the suite of uh, videos, animated videos, that's going to come with the music, um, and then just aligning these really fun you know uh, culture responsive, you know, youth-centered activities, um, but in a digital space. So we're just excited about, like, having the thing, like, you know, no longer having to speak about it as if it's an idea, you know, pointing people to a website and saying this is how it will look or, you know, envision mock-ups to say, you know, this is, a it looks beautiful, doesn't Mm -hmm. it, you know, what it can be. You know to actually have something, um, you know to begin testing on and, and seeing how well it works.
2: A big shout out to our team, to our founding team: uh, Asante Amin, Jr., John Robinson, Nick James, uh, Nick James, Angel Jamel Lopez, Mims, Angel
0: Lopez. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Big shout out to the team, everybody. We couldn't be more grateful for um, uh, everybody's hard work in getting us up until this point. Um, one of the biggest challenges that we've had is that as founders of color, you know, uh, to, re- to to um, secure startup capital. Mm-hmm. has been a tremendous challenge um you know the the year too early conversation is a, a very common one yeah um besides just you know the the idea and the impact and the ethos and the philosophy that we have um so that's been challenging so we've been super bootstrapping up until this point so this kickstarter now has provided provided us an opportunity to get some resources to not only um further engage our team to really push this forward but to bring on more partners so if there's any of you out there who are interested in what we're doing uh Please go to uh, Codesociety.com Society Society doesn't have any vowels So that's C-O-D-E-S-C-T-Y Dot com Um Come check us out. Please reach out. If you're interested in this work uh, in your school, in your learning environment, wherever it is, you know, please don't hesitate to to reach out. Any funders out there who are interested Mm -hmm, in our ethos, mm -hmm. you know, angel investors, however it might be. We've had many conversations. We've got some good stuff happening. So Mm -hmm. please, please come out and check it out. And
0: at Code Society on all social media platforms, C-O-D-E-S-C-T-Y everywhere, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter snapchat not yet but it's coming <laughs> thank you for doing wonderful. this thanks for uh, having if us. i
1: didn't have to pay drake i'd take us out on
2: <laughs> he might he, not
1: mind if you guys want to yeah
3: <laughs> i think someone would have to report it
0: yeah. you can probably sneak it in right I appreciate it guys thank you <laughs> thank you thank you
1: For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.